Well, good morning, everyone. My name is, oh, thank you. I didn't think you'd respond. That was, sorry, I should have anticipated. My name is Wes Nichols, and I am the pastor of students here at HP Press. And if you are a 7th to 12th grade student in this audience, or a parent of a student, or a grandparent, or someone who's just passionate about student ministry, I hope that we get the chance to connect after the service. We are going to be continuing with our sermon series this morning on the great hymns of our faith and how those powerful songs have and can continue to shape us as followers of Jesus. In particular, we're going to be looking at the hymn Amazing Grace this morning and how it teaches us about the fact that we have to see the full picture of grace in order to understand how amazing it is. We're going to sing Amazing Grace following this sermon, but since I'm the youth pastor, and you can probably already tell I'm a little kooky, I like to do things my own way, so I'm going to ask you to go ahead and get out your hymnal and turn to hymn 649 with me, and I'm not going to make you sing a cappella because that would be weird, but I want you to read along with me as I read the first two verses of hymn 649, Amazing Grace, for you, and then I invite you to keep it open for the duration of my message just because I'm going to be referencing back to it a couple times. So the first verses read as follows. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. These are such simple words that hold such powerful truth. And as a little background, Amazing Grace is easily one of the most recognizable hymns of the Christian tradition, and it's been sung and used as a tool to share about Jesus since 1773. It's a long time. And John Newton, who I think we're going to throw a picture of him up there. Yeah, I, people say I look like him. I don't know. But <laughs> John Newton was an ordained minister in the Church of England. He also was a former slave trader and eventually abolitionist against slavery. And he wrote this hymn to illustrate a sermon about God's freedom and grace. And it was intentionally primarily written to communicate God's grace, but has become associated throughout history as a a hymn that is connected to the abolitionist movement in some circles because of the call that it makes toward the unchangeable truth that God's grace exists for all people. Newton's words serve as a reminder that Jesus came to save all people who call on his name as their savior and repent of sin and that no sinner deserves grace more than another regardless of their station, power, race, or gender. Newton's amazing grace is an anthem of the freedom that exists for all who are in Christ. But it also calls us to remember again that we have to see the full picture of grace in order to understand how amazing it is. But how do we see the full picture and what's that really mean? The words of the hymn are clear, but do we actually apply it to our lives and completely hear what those words are saying? Let's delve deeper into this together by going into God's word. Today we are going to be reading from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. It's 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. And it reads as follows. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. 
Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Jesus, I pray that you would thicken your presence in this room. I pray that you would empty me of myself, Lord, that as we talk about the scripture, as we talk about amazing grace, that we would hear you and learn from you about how amazing your grace truly is. Amen. So I love First and Second Timothy because they are letters written by the Apostle Paul to his protege, Timothy. And I relate to them so well because I often feel like the new Christian, new in my faith, no matter how long I've been following Jesus. I always feel like I have something to learn. And in those spaces where I need encouragement and guidance from someone who really knows how to walk the walk, I like to turn to First and Second Timothy and listen to Paul in the way that I would a wise mentor. So since we're trying to understand what the full picture of amazing grace looks like, let's let Paul guide us as our mentor this morning through some of the specifics of what grace actually is. In the first couple of verses, Paul is pointing us toward his incredible life change and how that shows God's grace in his life. He started out as someone who went around persecuting and killing Christians, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, he gave his life to Jesus and became a completely different person. He says, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. God's grace transformed him. God's grace showed him that we have to see the full picture of grace in order to understand how amazing it is. And in order to understand that ourselves through Paul's words, though, we have to form a basic definition of what grace means to us as Christians. See, we often confuse the words grace and mercy because they're so similar and are often used together throughout the Bible. Paul says that God showed him mercy for his behavior, but that God's grace was poured out for him. Mercy is compassion and forgiveness shown to someone who's done something wrong by someone who has the power to punish them. And grace is mercy shown in the exact same way, but combined with the freedom, of, or gift of freedom given completely undeserved. God's grace through Jesus is what brings our salvation, the greatest gift of all, and that is the gift that changes everything. When I'm explaining this idea of grace versus mercy to people, I normally turn toward the donut analogy. Again, I'm the youth pastor, but imagine... Imagine for a second with me that you are speeding on University Boulevard. I know, I know, no one would ever do that. But bear with me for the sake of this analogy. So let's say you're going 35 miles an hour in the 30 zone on University Boulevard, you know, the greatest offense, and a cop pulls you over. He takes your license and registration and looks you in the eye and says, you know, even though I could give you a ticket right now, I'm going to let you go free. And he lets you go. That's what mercy's like being forgiven for doing something wrong and yet still being shown mercy. Grace is modeled by the exact same scenario. But when the cop pulls you over, he not only lets you go free, but he gives you a dozen donuts that he's had sitting in his car waiting for you. 
I mean, I know, it's like he planned ahead. <laughs> it's freedom plus the gift that you could never deserve, that you don't deserve. And, and that's a silly analogy, but it illustrates the fundamentals of what grace actually is. But what we need to remember as Christians is that in Christ, grace is so much more than a donut. Paul tells us that this grace is the reason why Jesus came into the world at all. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. That mercy is shown by Christ and it's for all sinners who want it. And it exists to uphold the grace that Christ gives. Grace that is completely undeserved because of sin. If you look back at that donut analogy, sin is kind of like the speeding within it. It's what exists in our lives and causes us to be undeserving of mercy and grace. But because Christ died on the cross for us, we can receive his grace, the free gift of salvation and forgiveness that we could never earn but are just given through our belief in Jesus and his resurrection from the grave. And Paul tells us that Christ has immense patience for us in our sin. He wants us to live a life that's free of sin, but understands that when we start a relationship with him, we don't always remember that life in Christ through his grace is better than choosing ourselves. When I think about my own sin and selfishness, the reality of that patience and the fact that I can receive grace is actually overwhelming. Paul sees the full picture of this. This is why he tells Timothy that now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. He understands the weight and the beauty of this free gift, which is why he tells Timothy to hear this message that all honor and glory should go to God forever and ever because of the grace of Jesus, because of what that grace can do. Paul lived a life with a full understanding of this gift. But if I'm completely honest with y'all, I myself don't always live my life this way. I don't always see the full picture. I love Jesus, but I'm not giving him honor and glory forever and ever in my life every day. I know I've received the full gift of grace, but I don't always have the full picture to see how amazing it is in all circumstances. It's almost like I have these moments in my life where day by day I remember what it's like when Jesus became my savior and I experienced that gift, but in the in-between, I'm just the same old me. My sin wins out and Jesus isn't always the main thing in my vision. The great theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that when we do this, we forget the costly gift of grace that was given to us, bought for us by Christ. He says, above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. In short, it's the presence of Jesus. It's what Jesus has done. We have to understand the weight of our sin to fully understand the beauty of this sacrificial gift that bought us grace. Meaning that we have to see the full picture because grace is an all-day, everyday thing. Maybe that's what Paul was trying to encourage Timothy through, and maybe that is what amazing grace is there to teach us as well. If you feel similarly in any way about all of this, or 
if you feel differently at all, I hope you know that wherever you are, you're not alone. Because no one here has it all figured out. We're all working through it together. That's the beauty of church. And this past week, speaking of beauty, my wife Caroline and I went on a vacation to Colorado, and it was incredible. You can see us up there. Caroline planned the whole thing and made it a trip to remember, which was no surprise because she's the catch in our relationship, which, I mean, I, I just admit it. She's the catch. I'm not. But it's cool. It's cool. We love each other. So we happened to be up there in Colorado at the exact same time that the middle school ministry team and some other staff members and volunteers took this year's confirmation class up to Sky Ranch Ute Trail. And I'm so thankful for the amazing work that they did this week and for all the incredible things that Anna, Daniel, and Savannah, and Andrew taught our students. And it was cool being up there because I had been on the trip last year. And something that I learned that I will never forget was when we went on this all-day hike and we started at the bottom of the mountain, which was super beautiful, but all we could see was what was directly around us. And then as we climbed, the entire picture started to become clearer. Once we got to the top of the mountain, we could see everything. And it completely reframed our perspective, making everything more beautiful than it was before. And the Sky Ranch staff told us that our relationship with God can be a lot like this. Sometimes you have to go to the top of the mountain to see the entire picture. And Caroline and I experienced this on our Colorado trip as well. Granted, we drove to the top of the mountain, we didn't hike. But the view was still the same. I mean, look at that. Imagine you were at the bottom of the hill, how much less you would see. You see the full beauty when you're up there on the top. The awe that we experienced up there on the mountain summit made every piece of the mountain valley seem more real and more beautiful to us. And I think that the picture of God's grace is exactly the same. We have to zoom out to the summit in order for every piece of it to come into the sharpest detail. When you remember God's grace and how amazing it is, it's like you're on that mountain peak and you experience and see everything through the lens of the perfect picture of God's grace, understanding how incredible it is that God looks past your sin and sees you as his perfect, beloved child. When you're at the bottom of the mountain, though, you can still see the top from where you're standing, and it's awe-inspiring, standing at the foot of that mountain. But if we turn around and shift our vision, we lose sight of the peak, Sure, there's still beauty, but you can't see all of it. This is a lot what it feels like for me when I'm going through my day by day and experiencing God's grace in spurts. I remember that moment of salvation and I feel the awe of God's grace and love and then I go back to speeding on University Boulevard. Or I receive God's grace through the grace of someone in my life like my wife or my coworkers and it feels amazing, but it's just momentary because then something else is shifting my view, something else that feels bigger and more important. We have to see the full picture of grace to understand how amazing it is. So how do we get there? The amazing truth about God's grace is that you don't have to climb a mountain to get to it. Jesus did that for you on the cross, so it's a free gift if you are willing to accept it. Seeing the full picture of grace every day, though, can be a challenge because of sin and busyness and just the myriad of things we have going on in our lives. There are a lot of things competing for our sight line, which is exactly what Paul was reminding Timothy about. God wants us to live a life that is free from sin, but that isn't something that we can manufacture on our own. We need to let Jesus put us in that place where we can see the full picture. And I believe that the words of amazing grace hold some suggestions for us and how to do that. 
The first suggestion is to listen. See that line, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Grace is a sweet sound that we first hear when we begin a relationship with Jesus. That sound is the sweetest sound you will ever hear. And it's something that we can listen for each day. We can listen for God's grace in our daily interactions and scenarios at work or speeding on University Boulevard. Or we can put ourselves into conversations where we're hearing about God and remembering his grace alongside others who are doing the same. We can train ourselves to listen for God's grace so that over time we hear it more readily. Next suggestion. It was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. Does your heart have the fear of the Lord within it? Fear of the Lord often translates in the Bible to awe, the feeling of being struck by the raw majesty and power of the creator of the universe who loves us and gives us grace. Does this awe live in your heart? When it does, the fears of our lives and the things that cause us to spiral out in stress seem less important because we remember that we can trust the one who holds the world in his hands. We have to remember the awe of that mountaintop experience of God's grace. I like to leave myself reminders of this in little notes or pictures that I stick in my Bible or put in my office or tape to a place in my car. That picture that I had up earlier of Caroline and me is a perfect example. I can print that picture out after this and stick it in my office so that whenever I look at it, I can remember that the meeting I'm worrying about or the hard conversation that I have to have won't make or unmake me because I have received grace from God who is most worthy of my awe. And that grace is what matters most. And then finally, the last suggestion that I think that we get from Amazing Grace is the punctuation itself. It shows us this key to seeing the full picture of God's grace. Look at the exclamation points in the first two verses. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. John Newton called God's grace amazing because he truly believed that it was. The excitement behind this idea permeated everything within this hymn, which is where the exclamation marks come from. We're supposed to sing this song with excitement. I found throughout my life that even when I don't feel excited about doing something, that if I practice excitement, eventually my heart will shift. It isn't always immediate, but practicing what you preach is an important skill to hone. And if we practice excitement about the amazing gift of God's grace, then it will flow into every area of our lives. The same grace that can exist for everyone, that, that gives us sight in our spiritual blindness and that can end the injustices and pain of our world is an all-day, everyday thing for Christians. By hearing and listening for that truth, holding the awe of grace in our hearts and living with the excitement for what that grace means, we can become people who see the full picture of grace and understand how amazing it is 24-7. And when you see the full picture, who knows what God could do through that? If you're in here this morning and this message of grace is new to you or you feel struck by it again, please know that Jay, Emily, me, and, and other staff and pastors of our church are here to talk with you about it. We want to talk with you about it. Remember that grace is freely given. 
because God wants us to be free of our sin and to hold on to the truth of his love. And isn't that the most amazing grace? Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you are who you are. We thank you so much that your grace is amazing to the point where it outshines everything around it. Jesus, I pray as we go forward from here that we would listen, that we would feel the awe of your grace, and that we would be excited about it, Lord, so that as we walk through life, that we would see the full picture of that 24-7. In Christ's name we pray, amen.